Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 100-something. We have an amazing show for y'all today with uh, a great interview, really revealing interview. And and you guys know how much I love music and not only consume the music and, and love the songwriting, but I'm also fascinated by the business of music. And we have the opportunity today to chat with one of the most influential executives in the entire industry. It is Electronic Arts. Uh, many of you are, are Madden fans. Many of you are FIFA fans with EA Sports. Um, Steve Schnur is the global president of music for Electronic Arts. What a title. Global good president. Title. That's a global badass president. title. No doubt. I need one of those titles. I mean, that's, uh, you know you're a baller when you're global president, when you're global anything. Steve's insight is just awesome. And I appreciated his investment in what I was asking him and the insight that he gives us on what it's like to basically create generations of interest in music through gaming. And I was intrigued by this pitch. This interview was pitched to us. And I was intrigued by it because of my own son, my own kids who love the gaming and, and love to be immersed in that world with their buddies, especially, quite honestly, as, as you'll hear me say to Steve during the interview, during COVID-19, this pandemic where our kids can't get together all the time with their friends and spend a whole lot of time together socially and doing what they would normally be doing. Those video games, in a lot of cases, are their social outlet. And as an old guy, it's hard for me to really wrap my hands around that because that wasn't my life growing up. My dad and mom put their foot on my rear end and kicked me out of the door in the morning and said, don't come home until the, until the bell rings for dinner. We literally, Travis, had a bell. My mother had a big cowbell on the side of our front door in our house, and she would ring the bell to let us know that it was dinner time. I expect little Marty Smith coming home with, like, jeans that are mud, like, ripped up. Absolutely. Like dirt on dirt, the face. Dirt, the dirt on the face, just sweat and just running in looking for, like, something to drink and just just a mess. That's it. Haggard. I mean, I just looked haggard when I got home. and But that's what we did, man. We went outside and played. I never had a Nintendo. I never had an Atari. That was never my thing. But my kids love it. Most kids in today's generation that that – uh, that have kids my age, I have 14, 11, and 8. You can relate to that. And so I brought, the, brought that up with Steve and what that's like. And you will be so fascinated to hear him discuss the real impact of the soundtracks of Madden and FIFA, not only to the consumer, but also to the artist. Well, that's like and, with the people, with people are listening and they're probably video game fans, they may not know the name, but this guy – influences a lot of the people that have listened to their podcast because at the end of the day he has final say on just about every sound that's put into a game and it's not just fifa and madden it's any ea game so whether it's these other yeah uh, all the return of the jedi games and so it, it's really cool y'all are gonna love this especially if you're music nuts because here here's the hook for a lot of you guys who may not be into gaming and really understand steve's influence he was the point of contact for Electra Records in 1985 for Metallica, okay? This guy's resume 
is unbelievable. He was an intern at MTV when it started. So it's just so fun. And I had known about Steve. One reason that I was so intrigued by being offered to interview him was I read a book recently called I Want My MTV. And Steve was interviewed in that book. And so his name was really prominent in my mind already. And so to get the opportunity to spend time with him, it really, really fulfilled me. And I feel like I've made a new friend. And when I'm in Nashville, he, he commutes between LA and Nashville. And uh, when I'm in Nashville, he's in trouble because I'm going to hit him up. And we're going to go have a cold beer and he's probably going to be buying. <laughs> well, that's the one thing I got a feel for him right off the bat was he seemed like a guy that very much we would just go have a cold beer with mm -hmm. at the bar, just belly up, what cans y'all got kind of style. Absolutely. What cans y'all got, Steve? I also want to remind y'all that the Dan Levitard show with Stu Gotts now airs 10 to 12 every day on ESPN Radio and ESPN News. But they'll also be putting out original contents before and after their show. They did just announce they're going to do a podcast before the show and a podcast after the show to coincide with their live 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern time hour every day. Again, we have Steve Schnur, the global president of music for electronic arts as our guest this week. And we're going to shake it up a little bit this week. We're going to do Ask Marty before the interview rather than after the interview. And Travis claims that he has a really good question this week. So forgive me, the person that sent this tweet, and I forget who it was, but I remember the question. And it was, you've been all over the world covering sporting events and games. What's one that you haven't covered that you would love to cover the most? A sporting event that I have not covered that I would love to cover the most. I think I know the answer. I think it's probably the Monaco Grand Prix. The Formula One race on Memorial Day weekend that really kicks off the greatest day in motorsports. Um, it looks just absolutely stunning. It's a who's who. It's a massive global event. And we just happen to have the broadcast rights to Formula One. So Kate Jackson, my dear friend who oversees Formula One coverage for ESPN, I hope that you hear this. In fact, I'm going to make sure you hear this. I think it would probably be that right now. Now, I've been to a couple Super Bowls. I've never covered a Super Bowl. I don't know what that's like. My man Sal Powell and those folks take great care of that. I mean, they, they cover that thing so well. What I, what, what I thought you might answer with is cover Army-Navy. Yeah, I would love to cover Army-Navy. Of course I would. Um, I've never had the opportunity to do that. And everyone tells me that it's the single greatest experience in sport with all of the wonderful pageantry and all of the beautiful patriotism and playing the game for the right way and the fact that these guys are enemies in that moment, but they might be shoulder to shoulder someday on the battlefield. It's, um, it's so – I mean, and, and it's, it's always on CBS, and they do such a tremendous job with that and so does a uh, game day goes to that game too and they do such a tremendous job of bringing that beautiful day and that beautiful event and moment into our homes so that we can feel that patriotism and and let that pride of being an american really permeate us 
And I do, you're right. I really would love the opportunity to, to even see it someday. I've never even attended it. And I would love that chance, but. Well, that's what I love with, with game day, you know, having Lee Corso there, having played at Navy too, just makes it extra special when he walks out in his robe. Just I mean, how cool it is for him to go back and just to see that, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty, pretty special. Um, not only that, so I want to bring up one more debate before we get to Steve, because it's fresh on my mind. Again, we just got done with the Marty McGee show. Travis and I are taping here at, at about 10.35 in the morning, Eastern time on Saturday. And as I think back about the show, I randomly, you know, we always say, I know y'all are listening while you're going to get the donuts and taking Junior to ball practice. Some guy tweeted me this morning, the three hours a week I'm on Twitter, sent a note of this. It was a photograph of his coffee and a bag of mini chocolate-covered donuts that were Little Debbie. And so it made me think about Little Debbie snack cakes, which were very prevalent in my home as a kid. My daddy ate oatmeal pies like Nick Saban does. And so I got to thinking, man, what are, my, what, what are the power rankings for Little Debbie uh, uh, snack cakes? And so I make this list randomly off the top of my head during a radio break of – and what's a radio break, Travis? Four minutes? Something like uh, that? Yeah, four minutes. So I do a very quick, off the top of my head, Little Debbie snack cake power ranking list. I had oatmeal pies, which to me are number one, Swiss cake rolls, zebra cakes, Christmas tree cakes with the white icing, Christmas tree cakes, the brownie ones with the green icing, star crunch, donut sticks, and strawberry shortcake rolls. Now, I was – I got – I was vilified for the fact that I forgot Nutty Bars. And you forgot – you also forgot Fudge Rounds? No, and, and, I didn't forget Fudge Rounds. I left I, Fudge Rounds off. How, how could you leave them off? Here's how. Mama, when I was a kid – so I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Appalachia, all right? Parisburg, Virginia, which Justin Moore, my buddy Justin, I did his pod – taped his podcast the other night. He asked me to come on and be his guest. You also check out that podcast if you haven't. It's called the Justin Moore Podcast. It's just – I really enjoy it. His road manager, JR, is the host. And they sat on there, and they have great interviews with country artists and, and sporting people. They just had Diamond Dallas Page on right before me. Uh, really cool. So, anyway, Justin informed me that Parisburg's population is like 2,100. That's inflated. It ain't 2,100. So, I'm from middle of nowhere, Appalachia. Once a month, Mama and Daddy would – Throw Stacy and me in the van, and we would drive 65 miles to Roanoke, which growing up in Parisburg, Roanoke may as well have been New York City. I mean, it was like the big city. They had a mall. They had like a, a bunch of lights and stuff and coffee shops and stuff. It didn't exist in Parisburg. And so we'd go to the Sam's Club once a month and load the truck down with, you know, all the stuff that we could possibly get in the truck. And so Mama – bought fudge rounds, Little Debbie fudge rounds in bulk. And I over ate the fudge rounds. I had too many of them chased down by Mountain Dew after Mountain Dew after Mountain Dew. And so fudge rounds did not make – they got the snub. They so did because, not make my cut. So, But as a kid, you knew that they were great, but you just couldn't handle it. So they're getting punished because you just ate too many. I think that's just that's, – that's bad on your part. So we would also buy Reese cups, like the industrial size 
movie size Reese cup, four like, like, Reese cup yep. sleeves, packs, and Bonesy and I would watch the Atlanta Braves play baseball on TBS, and we would eat Reese cups until we were bouncing all and drink Mountain Dews, like until we were bouncing off the walls like drunk hornets, and. I just Travis, I had too many fudge rounds. Everybody's I've been vilified for leaving off nutty bars, which was an egregious omission. I'm sorry. Uh, and fudge rounds. You also left off the cosmic brownie. Well, I, that, I, look, my list is my list. And if you want cosmic brownies on your list, that's cool. Uh, your, your sister did bring up a good question about the Swiss cake, though. She did? What'd she say? I haven't looked. She, uh, you should take a poll on the Swiss cake. Do fans eat them straight or unroll them bit by bit? See, that's why we need to have Stacy on here. That's a really good question. That's Stacey. a really good question. She says that because she and I, what I would do with the Swiss cake roll is I would meticulously unwrap the chocolate layer that was on top of the Swiss cake roll, and I would slide that over to the side, okay? It's over here on the side. And then I would unroll the entire Swiss cake roll. I would eat the filling out of the middle of the Swiss cake roll. Then I would eat the Swiss cake roll. Then I would chase it with the chocolate top layer. That is strange. I'm strange. You've known me a while now, Travis. You and I are brothers. You know I'm strange. I know you're strange, but when's the last time that you had any sort of Little Debbie product? Because it's, it's out of your... Uh, it's been your, a minute. Yeah. It's been a minute since I had a little Debbie product, but little Debbies, if you're listening, let's let's send Marty and me some some uh, snacks. Yeah, man, bring it. I so Nick Saban is legendary for eating oatmeal pies and Coke for breakfast, and so I went into his office one time. His assistant is a wonderful lady, and she coach was not there, but he had agreed to let me. He was in a meeting, staff meeting, or something or other. I had requested to shoot his office with my iPhone to, to, to get content, just to do a little tour of his office with my iPhone for social media, for uh, ESPN college football social media, my social media. And he agreed to let me do that. He has a jar. And so there's a little sink in his office, and he has a, a clear glass jar that is massive, filled to the brim with Little Debbie snack cakes. Then underneath that, there's like a cabinet that is filled to the brim with boxes of Little Debbie snack, little oatmeal pies. It's all oatmeal pies. Speaking of weird breakfasts in high school, many times my breakfast consisted of a Pepsi and chili cheese Fritos. You know what I used to do? By the way, that's disgusting. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's not disgusting. It is a, it is a amazing. Is that an Ohio delicacy? No, it, it's. I think it's. It's just. A, it's just a delicacy. Period. It's not for Ohio. My sister, like to this day, makes fun of me for it. But it Dude, was amazing. Let me tell you what I used to do, and that this goes back to Little Debbie. So Little Debbie makes Dunkin' sticks, right? You love those things, dude. You can't fathom how much. So Krispy Kreme. Every now and then, at the food line in Parisburg. Krispy Kreme, there was a, all of a sudden, magically, a Krispy Kreme display in our grocery store, in the food line in Parisburg. And within that Krispy Kreme display, there was the Krispy Kreme Dunkin' Sticks. They came in a flat, rectangular, green and white box. 
and they lined them up side by side, eight in a row. My mama would buy, like, let's call it three boxes of them because daddy, my daddy loved those too. I would eat the entire, for breakfast before school, I would eat an entire eight-piece box of Dunkin's. I would put them in the microwave. I'd put them on a plate. I'd put them in the microwave for 20 seconds. I'd get the tallest glass of milk you ever saw, and I would be in hog heaven eating them Dunkin' sticks before school. Have you ever had uh, Nichols Maple Twist Sweet Rolls? No, I, that sounds very intriguing, though. It, it like, comes in, it's a, I don't know how to, it's probably the size of a piece of paper, and it's one piece, and you just take the butter knife and cut how big of a piece. And whenever mom or dad would come home with that on, you know, like a Saturday morning, that thing was gone instantly. They're delicious, and I'm actually in the process of trying to see if I can buy them and have them shipped here. I know I can get them back home, but I forgot when I was there to get them. They are, that is a delicacy, and it uh, that I know people in my hometown know about. Well, now that we've broken down uh, all of the super nutritious breakfasts that you can choose from, uh, you know, it's funny. I can imagine Steve firing up his iPhone to listen to himself on the podcast and and really consume everything that he said to us on the podcast. And he has gotten to this point, and he has probably said to himself, what in the Sam hell did I get myself? Did, what are they even talking about? No, see, I bet, I bet Steve is with us on the oatmeal cream. He seems like he likes an oatmeal cream pie too, though. I, I, I just get the feeling. You're probably right. You're probably right. Steve's a super cool guy. He's probably an oatmeal cream pie and Jack Daniels fan. And uh, that means it's time for us to hear from him. Uh, again, music fans, prepare to learn and prepare to be just fascinated with such an amazing journey by literally one of the most powerful people in music. Here's Steve Schnur, Global President of Music for Electronic Arts on Marty Smith's America. I want to start with this quote that you had in Rolling Stone that I found really intriguing. And that was, it took me leaving the record business to enter the music business. Yeah. Explain that perspective to me. Well, you have to understand and put in perspective the timing and, and, and what I'm relating to. You know, I was in the, the record business, meaning I worked for record companies from 1985. I worked for Electra Records. That was a great time in the record business which I can explain a little more. And um, fast forward now to 2001, Napster comes in. You know, even though uh, NSYNC is selling millions of records, it's sort of like the horizon wasn't that far off. You could see that there was going to be a complete shift, a seismic level shift in what we knew as records. You know, how people were going to listen to records, how people were going to sell or not buy records. And it was a scary time. I mean, no one knew what the future looked like, even though, and ironically, technology, you know, has always been the evolutionary, you know, shift in, in, in music. It's always helped it thrust forward since the player piano. Um, but the record business was about to head into a panic. And frankly, parallel to that, you asked, by the way, I'm giving you the answer. It's a little more length than you can imagine. That's the beauty um, of podcasts, Steve. We can go all day, man. <laughs> I think parallel to that, assigning a band, producing a record, 
and having one guy, the consolidation of radio was just overwhelming. All of a sudden, there was less radio stations taking risks, and, and you had to be safe all the time. You had to sign a band that was safe, and usually it had to sign like another, sound like another band that came before. And for a creative person, frankly, and a music maker since I'm, Lord knows, six or seven years old, it was terrible when I was six, but I was still trying it, I was really frustrated. And what I needed to happen was exactly what, you know, somebody somewhere brought in and, 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 and put in front of me, which was the opportunity to go uh, to EA. And at the time, a guy named Don Matrick, who was the head of all of our studios around the world, amazing guy, um, had toyed with some things with music. He had Bare Naked Ladies do some cool stuff in an NHL game. He had uh, Robbie Williams do some cool stuff in a FIFA game. And, and all of a sudden, they started to notice, wow, music might, be cult might culturally make a difference in what we do. It might because music and sports have always been mm -hmm. had a relationship because co collectively their culture, you know, their people's sense of culture. That's it's a timestamp. And uh, so he had said to me, you know, I, I, we got to do something cool with music. I had not known him before that. He said, can you figure it out? You know, the real estate is yours, he said to me. And to me, that was wow. So all of a, a sudden, blessing. I felt that I was in the music business because I could take artists that I love, that I found, not just bands that were important to me, but bands that I felt more importantly would be important to others. And I would give them the opportunity to be exposed and aligned you know, with things that are also important to people. So I was in the music business. I was taking bands that I never heard before. Ironically, I had to go to the UK to discover a band in 2002 from Nashville called Kings of Leon, fell yep. in love with them and went, I'm gonna put you in FIFA. Nobody else was dealing with them. Nobody else was dealing with Black Keys. No one else was dealing with these bands. And I just said, this is gonna change people's lives. And it sounds like, and this is the end of the story, it sounds like what the future of sport sounds like to the next generation. Um, sport had to stop sounding like ACDC Queen, you know, and God forbid, Gary Glitter. I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe colleges still play, you know, whatever. I won't hum it because of a license, but it had to stop at some point. It had to go into the next generation of sports fans. And uh, as sports move towards that, players were allowed to have their own identities their own personalities in the nba music had to do the same and i think we've i say this with humility but i believe that we have helped shift that you know culturally towards the sound of sport i know that you know the mls for instance we just uh, we meaning mls and you know we just announced the the new theme for the mls 25th season you know written by hans zimmer that was me working with the uh, MLS. I don't mean me like a pat on my back, but that was where these leagues come to us, my team, and say, can you help us? You know, what does the sound of sport sound like to a 7-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old who in 20, 30 years might be buying some season tickets? So that's the music business to me, to being able to discover, create, produce. You know, I know we're, we can talk about licensed music, but I produced the music to Jedi Fallen Order and Battlefield. And all. That, that's the, I'm in the music business, man. I'm not in the conformity business. I'm not in the music. I'm not in the business to suddenly go find a band that sounds like some other band, just so some radio station in Tuscaloosa or in, you know, Wisconsin or somewhere will play it. No, we want to we wanna create change in the way people hear sport. It intrigues me that, that you kind of discuss how the music begins, uh, business becomes this copycat 
format. And if there's ever one, you live in the town. I mean, country music is, that is what country music is. Till somebody's bold, right? Till somebody's bold, because it's copycat. Till somebody in the 90s like Garth comes along or Shania comes along. Till somebody yeah. likes, like uh, uh, Taylor Swift comes along. Eric or, like, or Church. Eric Church. I have my, oh, I don't have it on now. Yesterday I was sporting my Eric Church t-shirt all day. Till somebody comes along and, no pun intended, and rocks the town. Yep. And the minute they rock the boat, but sadly, everybody else goes, <gasps> we have to have one of those. Okay, yep. well, I like being the first in line. You noted that 1985 was a special year in music. Why was it a special year? Well, I think it was particularly a special year for me for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think MTV was rocking back then. They had been a couple of years on the air. I think the British, the new British invasion had started thanks to MTV. I think there was, you know, some bands that were emerging that would change the course, you know, in hindsight, but in change the course of what was going to change musically the world ahead. Think about Metallica was starting out then, you know, um, The Cure. I think that most importantly, there were radio stations across America, not many, but a few that were so influential that would change the course of what now we just take for granted, musically speaking. You had, for hard rock, you had WBAB in Long Island. You had WLIR uh, in Long Island for alternative music. You had K-Rock in LA. You had uh, KBCO in Boulder. You, you know, uh, just amazing group of radio stations that would take significant chances on bands that no one else would. Sure, I mean, we could probably go look at pop radio and there were, we could come up with a bunch of hits back then that took over the world, but there was something bubbling under, you know, that we didn't realize probably as much as we do now at the time. But it's pretty phenomenal if you look back. I mean, I remember, I worked in 1985 February 25th, 1985, I went to work for Electra Records. I had been an intern at MTV in the very early days when I, I was the guy who, you know, they were all sitting over around conference tables in 1983, 1984, talking about, well, I think this uh, Huey Lewis and the News song is very important. Which, and I'm like, what the heck? Have you guys ever heard of Motley Crue, man? And they like, what's Motley Crue? I'm like, you guys got to get off a rock, get the rock out from uh, on top of you. I mean, there was bands that were happening out there. And now we kind of look back at them and say, oh, okay, what's so radical about Motley Crue? What's so radical? Well, you can't say what's so radical about Metallica because that's still radical in wonderful ways. But, you know, radical about The Cure, radical about, you know, remember this guy named Howard Jones showed up, you know, things yeah. can only get better. And he was one guy on a keyboard and everybody went, oh no, drummers are going to be out of work. Oh my God, life is over. I mean, you know, everything was radical at the time. And I think that's all mainstream to us now. But wow, in hindsight, that was a great decade. And when you say 80s, I'm not talking about the 80s that, you know, they make movies about. I'm talking about the 80s. I keep going to Metallica. That to me, you know, nobody played Metallica. There were only seven or eight radio stations in America that would play Metallica. I'll tell you a story, even though you didn't ask, okay? I, I was working at Electra Records, okay? Previously at MTV. And I was responsible for Metallica. And they had made their first video called One. Yeah, man. Okay? And they were super reluctant to make any videos. And they, they hated it. The video. Remember, they're not even in the video, right? They right. hated it. They didn't well, not want to go there. And I called MTV um, and said, listen, you guys just, the, the VJ, right? Uh, really nice guy, Adams lives Curry. in- Curry. 
Yeah, from Alabama, I think, Birmingham or somewhere Alabama. Super nice guy. You, he did the top 10 countdown. That week, number one was Debbie Gibson. I'll never forget it, right? <laughs> and I said, all he has to do is announce that tomorrow at 3 p.m. or 5 p.m., Metallica, you're going to play Metallica. It'll be your number one most requested video in about 13 seconds. Well, you know, it has to be added to our playlist for us. I'm like, I don't get that. So it went on for weeks that even that, that, that they wouldn't play it and it wasn't. And finally, I got them to add it to their playlist. And even then, and just as I predicted, it went to number one most requested in about 13 seconds, probably less. And it's still, still Debbie Gibson was on every afternoon as the number one video. And I called the guy who was in charge of programming, Abby Conowich, know him to this day, super nice guy. And I said, y'all are lying. We know what the number one video. Well, you know, we don't want to, we'll, we don't want to scare people away or something like that. I'm not quoting him, but it was this kind of same sentiment. And I said, I said to him, he said, well, I said, why don't you guys just have then Adam say the number one video is Metallica one. And we're going to show it at 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. Because that's when the scary people watch, uh, you know, music videos. <laughs> and somehow they said okay to that. And that Boom. did not go over well, though. I mean, they played it, you know, 2 and 4 a.m. And then the place went nuts. When they said Debbie Gibson the next day, it, it, listen, it was a seismic shift, musically speaking. Yeah, Debbie Gibson was on the air. Yeah, that stuff, Tiffany or whatever. Of course. Okay, that's pop culture. We can go back to the 60s and talk about Bobby Darin versus the Beatles. There, it, was a, it was a shift in culture. But the truth is, something was in the air that was bubbling, that would change the course of what the next 10, 20, 30 plus years would sound like. And I do, and, and we can, I think it was Dick Clark, I don't mean to misquote, but I think it was Dick Clark that said, we can look back and measure, this is not a quote, it's a paraphrase, we can measure music through the decades. You and I could sit there and have a couple beers, it'd be fun and go, oh, the 60s, oh, the Beatles, the Stones, this and that, we can go to the 70s, right, we can go to the 80s. It started to thin out as it got further. You know, the 90s, sure, there's Nirvana, sure, Eminem, you know, Dave Matthews, if you want to go, there's certain bands that sort of changed it. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam, for sure. But it starts to thin out. It's not as much. And, and that's because, in my humble opinion, sure, we can go back the last 10 years and talk about, you know, artists that shifted musically. But the outlets to hear that music were diminishing because of the conformity and the consolidation of the format of radio. Suddenly, you couldn't get find exposure until certain things online started to happen. One of them, I believe, hopefully being you know EA Sports Pro. You've heard there's a lot of bands that people would have no opportunity to hear had they not played FIFA. You know, and listen, I'm not going to say it alone. Certainly, YouTube and other places like that. But the opportunity kind of went away for a while. You know, because that consolidation of radio that happened, um, I believe it was. Bill Clinton, I believe, who sort of signed off on that consolidation. I'm not blaming him for the dilution of music, <laughs> um, but I, <laughs> I'm not. Uh. I'm not because listen, he's a music guy, right? But I'm. But that was a bad move. That was a bad move because suddenly local radio started to sound like national radio, and suddenly, suddenly, you in Charlotte or me in Nashville or somebody else in Boulder stopped started hearing the same top ten. Said just like MTV had done that year in the in the eighties, and you got it. There's great music out there, and it has to be heard. And you have to have people who are bold 
you know, who say, I'm, I'm going to take real estate and I'm going to use it to turn people on to things that will change their lives. That's a very long-winded way to ask, to answer a question about 1985. <laughs> I love it. And it's fascinating. And, and I want to dive further into the, the EA influence in just a second, but I actually want to stay in 1985 for a couple more questions. 1985 was Live Aid. He was. Bob Geldof and that group. I, see, that's, I, I was going to ask you if you were and, and what, so I'm a little bit younger. But I remember and I've read so much about how Live Aid came together, what it was, what bands really wanted to participate, which ones didn't, who did what, et cetera. And there were some seminal, legendary, iconic performances during Live Aid. As someone, first of all, I can't believe you. Were you in Philly or London? I was in Philly. I wish I could tell Philly, you. Okay. I was in Philly, but my friend Howard, Howard Jones, who I just mentioned, he was in London. So I, I have as good of, his, uh, of an account as possible. He's what, what, what Eric Church is to you, Howard Jones is to me. And, and I had a pretty good account from him as to what I missed there, but I was in Philly. Well, I can't imagine what it must have been like to take that in in person. What was that day? Well, it's like anything, and I don't, this is not meant to sound cynical because it's not. I think, and I don't mean to get all spiritual. I am a spirit, I pride myself on my spirituality, but I think if I could only go back and cherish some of those moments, um, knowing how meaningful it would have been, mm -hmm. I probably would have. You know, I probably would have spent a little more time touching the ground and opening my eyes. I mean, that doesn't mean we didn't have a good time. And that didn't mean we didn't drink a few beers and celebrate what was going on. And yes, we recognize the performance. We're on a whole different level. But if we knew that whether it was, you know, the the crazy thing of Phil Collins performing in London then coming to Philly or Queen's <laughs> performance or, you know, what we got to see, you know, in, 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 in Philly. Um, it, I, I think if we had just taken a moment and not had it been a moment in hindsight, I think it would have been a little more, you know, it's important to me now. And I knew what I was what I was attending at the time but I probably didn't realize that day how important that day would be to me in the next 20, 30, 40 years and everyone else. So it's kind of like this, sorry. Um, I live in Nashville, so I have to, it's kind of like the Tim McGraw song, you know, live like you're dying. I wish, I wish I had that moment to take it in. So, but we certainly know how important it was and we certainly knew um, culturally how important it was because we were there, you know, listen, I had not, I was working for, um, Electro Records then, I had not been working for MTV anymore, but I was there certainly friendly with all the folks I work with. And that was monumental in itself. You know, there was something being broadcast on a global level that nobody ever realized could be achieved in that way. Woodstock was not our generation. We heard about it, there was a film, but this was our generation. This was our generation speaking up for the world. And, and it was critically important and it was as critically important to the people in the audience as it was to the musicians. And I think like you said, the, the, the performances were out of control. Could we pull something like that off again? Um, you know, we have a lot more outlets now around the world, thanks to, you know, the internet and, and the YouTubes and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I would hope so. Feels like, frankly, I don't, again, not mean to sound cynical, it sounds like we're a little more, we're a little further apart sometimes than we were back then. You know, whether, it, again, not mean to be political, you know, when it, whether it's 
you know, racism or frankly, whether it's, you know, you know, wearing a mask. Here, here's my Led Zeppelin mask, by the way. You know, uh, I got my Titans mask over here, my LAFC mask over there, just to put it in perspective, okay? I'm, uh, um, but I don't know. I mean, I would hope the answer would be yes, we could pull that off and the world will come together. But that was a special moment because there was no, there was no gap between anyone. There was no right, there was no left. There was, it felt like everyone was one. Maybe I'm a little uh, naive, maybe there was, but it felt that day like the world came together to help the world. I completely agree. I've gone back and watched when I'm on those airplanes. I sit there and watch YouTube clips of old rock and roll or old country music and whatnot. And I have watched so many of the performances from that day, whether it's U2's tremendous performance and and Freddie Mercury that day, if, wow. if there, I don't know that there's ever been a front man who had a better moment than that moment right there for that man when he's singing Radio Gaga. And every single person, as far as you can see, is, you know, doing right there with him. Uh, it gives me the chills thinking about it. Um, I couldn't agree with you more, by the way. He was one of the, by the way, he was one of the greatest front men in history, period. Okay, mm -hmm. and I'm thankful for the film. Uh, what was it a year or two ago? So good. Um, because it, it it probably made a lot of people aware that he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, front man of all time. But it's another thing I'm talking about. I think at the time we didn't realize he was the greatest front man of all time. <laughs> I hate that we appreciate these things looking back. I wish we again. Sorry to do this, but you know, through what we're all going through collectively around the world. Um, you know, through pandemic and all that. Gosh, I hope we come out of this differently on the other end. And I hope we start cherishing each day um, and realizing whether it's simple things like, you know, appreciating the next Freddie Mercury or it's just appreciating each other. I feel like we've lost our way in that. And I do think that Live Aid is a great uh, mark. It's a great way to acknowledge the fact that the world for a moment was different and we came together and we need to get back there. We really need to get back there. And this is our opportunity. This is our time. And to and listen, the thing, the great things that we, I've said this a million times. Again, you might have people around the world who are supposed to hate each other. You might have one kid in Palestine and one kid in Israel. But you know what? The one thing they may have in common is Rihanna. You know what I mean? Music is the greatest thing in the world to bring people together. So sports, by the way. I mean, you could fight to death over sports, but I, I, you know, I've been to many football, soccer, you know, games in my life. And those combined, these are the greatest things in the world to bring people who are otherwise supposed to be apart or told to be apart. Commonality is there. It's, uh, you know, sorry to get I, all. No, man, I love it. I completely agree. I say often, and I've said it in, in heated moments of passionate reporting or reaction to some things that have happened in sports that we need to let kindness be our compass. Mm -hmm. And I also say often, uh, even on this podcast or, or whatnot, anyone who knows anything about me, I think there are only a handful of professions that have the opportunity to, there, there, there are many that impact lives. There are only a handful that can save them. And I think songwriters I think songwriters are one of those professions that can save lives. I think that's the most beautiful thing. I couldn't agree with you more, man. I couldn't agree with you more because a song time span, time stamps a moment. Yep. It time stamps a moment. If you go back, if you listen, 
I, I do it all the time. You know, I'm very grateful for things like Spotify because I'll go back in there as much as I'm in the new music business and I focus on new music and I'm not necessarily a nostalgic guy because I like change, I like growth. Um, but sometimes I'll go back and listen to some songs from the 70s or the 80s. It's amazing what a song and a songwriter behind it can do when suddenly you can feel and yep. taste That's it. where you were. You can envision it. You can feel your heart pound again for maybe that girl you were with. You can you can That's you it, can man. smell the the, the the cooking that That's was it. going on in your mom's kit. You can you can you're there. It's amazing how the brain works and it's amazing how songs connect you. So every time and any time you hear a great song today, just before Warren, in 10, 20, 30 years, you will revisit that moment when you heard it, and it is that songwriter. You are correct with all due respect to the performer, and that's a lot. But the songwriter, the person who puts that pent paper, um, what, a, what a lifesaver that person can be. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I actually chase nostalgia. Um, I love that feeling. I love the, the, those moments you're talking about when, man, I'm driving around in my Chevy Blazer hoping that I see this girl or that girl uh, before the football game on Friday night. But you mentioned Spotify and, and – and always trying to push those boundaries of, of finding new and fresh music. What is, that, what is that process for you of uncovering those fresh sounds when I know, I read that you don't let your team listen to the radio. No, you don't. suggest that they don't. What, what is that process of uncovering the new music, Steve? Well, it's, you know, um, things that excite you. I mean, listen, I, I get, I get, paid i'm amazed i get paid because i'm 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 grateful for it uh, to do something i love and and that's the same thing i did when i was 12 and i was 14. a friend of mine who used to work for universal publishing used to say you know guys are we, we all stop at 14 years old you know we even dress the same you know and uh <laughs> we just have a little more expensive t-shirts and a little more expensive sneakers on our feet a lot more expensive sneakers on our feet same. but the truth is we're the same you know i'm looking at you i know we're on a podcast but you know you've got your hat backwards you probably yeah. did that when you were 14 yep. you know and i probably wore i didn't probably have eric church on my t-shirt when i was 14 but exactly. it was another band you know yep. what i mean um but anyway um that feeling you get when you discover something and those feelings, those, that tingle you get and that excitement you get. You can't listen to it once. You listen to it twice. You listen to it five times. You crank it up. You have to play it for your friends. You have to call people. You, you can't get enough of it. I get to do that for millions of people. I get to do that for millions of people. And, and my music meetings with my team back in L.A. are just like that. We listen to things together that nobody's heard yet, whether they're huge bands that haven't released it yet or they're small bands you haven't even heard of yet. And we listen to music together and we argue. We argue like we're 14 and 16 years old. We, <laughs> if I don't like something, there's one band, I'm not gonna tell you who it is, that could have gotten into Madden this year, Madden 21 didn't. I went on, I had a fit. There is no way, I think it stinks, I think it sucks. And, and, and listen, that band could break and they will throw egg on me in six months if that band breaks. But at the end of the day, it's that passion. You know, it's that love. And frankly, it's not just personal. We keep in mind the fact that what we love, we, it needs to transcend. I want everybody who turns that Madden game on or that FIFA game, I want them to do the same. I'm a, there was something that, um, some Canadian uh, broadcasters did a couple months ago, you know, pan through this pandemic. I don't even know if it's a month or six months, but somewhere in the pandemic, um, uh, 
they started going back and reminiscing about old songs in the NHL game. And they did something which I needed. They had clips of people, gamers, young gamers, older gamers, talking about the year of the NHL game and the songs that they remember that change your life. People are talking about Enter Shikari. They're talking about, and I had a nostalgic moment because mm -hmm. I didn't realize going back and seeing people who were gamers, how much it meant to them that in 2006, 2008, 2012, those songs meant the gameplay itself, looking back, wasn't as meaningful. The features weren't as meaningful. The music was everything. It time-stamped the moment in sport for them. And their sport, you know this, I'm preaching the choir, sports to a next generation starts usually as a virtual um, you know, um, experience. It doesn't mm -hmm. start like when I was a kid or presumably when you were a kid, we went outside and actually threw a ball. That's right. Now, right now, you, you, you got a controller in your hand and the music that accompanies that is yours. And so when I, we discover music, we take it really seriously, but we try to make sure that fun is injected the whole way. And so, yeah, so those meetings, they get emotional, man. We scream jokingly because we're all such good friends. You know, we, 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 we argue over music and we usually narrow it down to music that we all go, oh yeah, man, that's going to change the world. What do artists say to you when you meet them about the impact of being aligned with EA? or being immersed in one of those games? Well, it's, it's, it takes us back to an earlier question you asked, believe it or not, because when uh, in the 80s and the 90s, you know, an artist, uh, a band, a local band, their goal, they would hear their local radio station, which used to play local music, right? right. We just talked about that. And, they was, and even if they played global music, whether it's Led Zeppelin or a you know, local band at the time, and oh my God, what's it gonna take for us to get our band um, on that uh, on that radio station, they, that's their goal, and I say those goals have changed because right now artists, whether it's hip hop, whether it's rock, whether it's electronic, you know, they're exposed to artists regularly through video games, and so their bar is set with how what would it take for us to get in Madden? What would wow. it take for us to get in FIFA? And so it is maybe it's the equivalent I'm assuming of the '80s, you know, in bands. What would it take to get our video on MTV? I don't know. I've never inquired but i'm going to make an assumption and i'm not talking my friend just a local band who you know are gamers which is almost everyone and and listen i'm, I'm talking about the fact that two years ago snoop dogg called me up and said i've never been in madden i've been in fifa i've been in other games i've never been in madden what why are you holding me up man and <laughs> and i went and i went to a studio in la and you can only imagine the recreational activity that was oh, happening for sure, man. Me in that studio. And uh, he played me a song that he had written for uh, with, with Tom Brady. And I don't remember what it was. And, and I had to tell him that song wasn't right. And it was rough, man. And then he played me another one. I went, oh, yeah, man. Okay, you nailed it. But that his, his aspiration... You know, again, we put, he's, he's obsessed, fortunately, and a friend, but he's obsessed with FIFA, Madden, you know, NHL, you know, commentary and NHL and all that. But he was, he was not happy that he had never been in Madden football. And he's, he's come to me with ideas, uh, so much influence he's had and all of his friends have had from listening to music from Madden. And he wanted to get people together. He wanted to do a podcast, talk about with all his friends, talk about the influence of Madden on him and his friends musically. And it's like, the I, he has more obsession than we do, which I love, you know? 
What about the athletes themselves? When you're at functions or around athletes, what do they say about how your work has impacted their life? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and let me split that question in two. First of all, there's a, a few athletes that uh, fancy themselves as musicians. Um, that, that, <laughs> God bless them. That sometimes is the, the rough conversation <laughs> yeah. because I re listen, I'm a sports fan, you know, um, and uh, uh, if Derrick Henry came up to me, you can obviously tell what football team I love for my example. Yeah. If Derrick Henry came up to me tomorrow, God, I'm friends with all the people, the Titans organization. I've said, please just give me 20 minutes in a room with him. I don't usually when you say give me 20 minutes in a room with somebody, it means something else. I just want to, I just want my jaw to drop and just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but you know, I, I would pray he wouldn't say, Hey, Oh yeah, by the way, I also cut this track. Cause that's a very uncomfortable feeling sometimes <laughs> and it happens a lot, man. I'm sure it does. Um, but um, the one thing which can be challenging, but the music that we program is as much as it's about as it's about gamers, it's also about the athletes in the locker room, what they listen to, what they listen to during a warm up. You know, the Titans. Sorry, I'm Titans obsessed. I actually worked with them about three years ago. That the 20, 30 minutes when the players took the field before the game and they were doing their warm-ups and drills before they played through the stadium the Madden 20 and it was the music from Madden and I got some of the guys in the team coming up to me after going man it's it basically to paraphrase it this rocks I wish they would keep doing this through the game itself yep you know so I think the, you have to remember most you know this most you know, most, most athletes now, they're young, relatively young. They grew up playing Madden football. They grew up probably their first sports experience might have been virtual. Um, and so the music is so meaningful to them. It's incredible. And, and so I get that all the time. Um, usually we have this, I don't know what will happen this year. We'll see with the pandemic. We have the EA Sports Bowl, you know, the Madden Bowl, the Thursday before the Super Bowl. And I get a chance to meet a lot of athletes there. And once they find out that I run music and I've been responsible for all the music in Madden football, I, 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 I'm embarrassed because I've had guys come up to me freaking out. And I'm like, dude, you have no idea. I, you don't freak out over me. I mean, you know, Mariota, I'm just like, what are you freaking out over me for? You have no idea. I want to I want to start yeah, bowing down and praising what you've done for me. So I think that it's um, beautiful mutual admiration where our where our worlds collide because i think their inspiration is music and my inspiration many times is sport and i think again going back in this conversation that the commonality is incredible it doesn't matter who we are what we do color of our skin religion we practice we are all equal when it comes to that man we are completely equal what athlete did you have to tell Hey, man, I appreciate that you cut that oh, track. I can't tell but... you that. There's no way I'm telling you that. Because for some reason, let me tell you something. Those guys are way bigger than me. I'm a small yes, guy. Yes, they are. Okay? There, yes, they I, are. I have had, you can do the math. I'll let you go back 20-something years. But there's guys that, um, there's guys that have not just come to me with their own musical endeavors, but they've come to me saying, well, my cousin's boys. sister. Yeah, sure. Or, or worse, my girlfriend has my girlfriend sings 
And there's one guy from the cover in the last 20 years that, oh my God, what am I going to do? He's on the cover and his girlfriend sings and it's a <laughs> remix and it was a lot of boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. I'm like, oh God, help me. And uh, I, 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 we, we, I don't even know what we did, man. I don't even know what we did. Those are very uncomfortable moments because I'm imagine. shooting for credibility. And um, yeah, I, I, I pray those conversations don't happen. Unfortunately, they happen all the time. How do you define Madden's cultural impact? How do I define it? I find it is nothing comparatively to anything I can imagine in the world. I mean, the, 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 the Madden is culture. The music of Madden is culture. We, uh, we used to say that we, we wanted to become a part of culture. We wanted to see where culture was going and we could ride that wave. We are culture now. People, you know, listen, people um, define themselves you know, by the, used to be by the radio station they, they, they listened to, by the band they wore on their t-shirt, like I'm doing right now. That was, you know, they would put stickers in the back of their cars driving in LA saying K-Rock. You know, that, that was, that defined it. It was their self-identity. That's Madden football. You know, that's Madden football. This is Madden football and it's FIFA. You know, that, that defines who people are. That, that's how they find their friends. That's where they find their common ground. It's the great equalizer, you know? Um, I hate how the world is continuing to fight over crazy things. Just sit them in front of a game, you know, get a bunch of people who are supposed to, you know, be deemed as, you know, as not getting along and uh, put them in front of a controller and give them Madden 21. See how well that works out. It'll work out pretty well. I mean, it I really is that way. And frankly, the games that we make, and I'm really proud of this, um, visually, you know, characters, we represent who gamers are. This is not a world which, you know, sadly and horrifically is going on right now. You know, listen, um, the, the protagonist in FIFA The Journey, Alex, you know, this is a black kid rising of aspirations to play in Premier League or play in MLS. These are, this is, we're not, we're not making a world that, that doesn't exist we're reflecting what the world really is you know women you know think about women have been we don't look at players in our games as you know this there's no lack of equality i mean we have the women's national team in there for years you know we have women fighters in battlefield you know it's it's crazy that the world is doing and what it's doing when in fact the world is beautiful in a video game it's beautiful. It represents what, where the world is. And culturally, it's everything. And I think it's where people, most people really want the world, what they want the world to look like. I will tell you, I have a 14-year-old son who is as gamer as you can possibly be. I mean, everything. And I will tell you that Call of Duty, for example, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When, in a moment when these kids cannot interact socially, physically, those games have been there social time those games have been the moment where him and his six or eight best buddies can have that time together and tell all those jokes and bust each other's ass right. and make fun of one another and learn what you do today here's what i did today oh and it is their community it is their community. right now and you know i'm curious and by the way it will continue to be their community it's right. not a temporary thing. It will continue to be their community. I'm sorry. What's the nope. What were your initial expectations and goals 20 years ago when you took that job? And how does reality compare to what those expectations and goals were? What a wonderful question. 
I, um, I think my goals, listen, I had come, I had left a frustrating experience in the record business. I had a wonderful experience in the record business that became very frustrating. I had worked in film music supervision, having a wonderful time. Uh, I worked on films like Miss Congeniality and stuff like that. And it was about collaboration. Um, and I think when I took this job, I just envisioned something that I knew was important to people and to see if we could create a culturally important landscape and if we could create something that would last, have a sense of timelessness or, or a time stamp like music did for me in the 80s and 90s, the real estate was really important. And so my goals were lofty, you know, listen, I wanted video games to stop sounding like Tinker Toys. I mean, now we look back, you know, nostalgically at, you know, Mario and the sounds of those scores. Oh, yeah, but the truth is that these weren't ambitious scores, you know, they live in nostalgia and that's wonderful. We can hear Pac-Man and go, oh, that's cool. I remember where I was when I was probably not supposed to be drinking beer with my college buddies <laughs> and doing that and do, 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 okay, fine. But at the end of the day, we needed to grow up. We needed to sound real and we needed to sound filmic and we needed to sound, we needed to be cultural. And so my goals were to initially to have us stop sounding like a stepchild in entertainment. We, we, we were growing to be bigger than the film industry and the TV industry, uh, sorry, the record and the music industry and the film industry combined, but we still sounded like the toy industry. And my goals were to create so many cultural moments that music became impor as important to the gamer as the game itself. And, um, you know, listen, sometimes I don't I take it for granted, but I think we've achieved that in many ways. I didn't expect to do it alone. I was thrilled when Guitar Hero came along. You know, we had rock band, Activision had Guitar Hero, wasn't competitive. You know, um, actually it started with Harmonix, uh, a, a um, developer out of Boston creating a game for Sony called Amplitude, which would, you would almost follow the, the, the sounds and you click on a guitar you know, a guitar frets is to match. It's almost like whack-a-mole with a guitar, mm -hmm. you know, guitar neck. And um, I was thrilled when those things started to come along because music was being prominently displayed in games. Um, and fast forward, here we are, Travis Scott just does 10 minutes in Fortnite. It becomes a significant cultural moment. You know, we're still talking about it. We're still talking about Marshmallow doing the same and we're projecting where it's going to go. But the truth is, less like the tortoise and the hare, you know, we're the tortoise, man. We have been there and we will continue to be there in times when there isn't, you know, 10 minutes in Fortnite, times when there isn't Guitar Hero. One thing has been there every year, man, growing and going is that soundtrack to Madden football, that soundtrack to FIFA that you could take back. You, had, you said you chased nostalgia. Man, if you play Madden football and you heard good Charlotte to be extreme, you'd be like, damn, that was high school. I'll ask you one more. I've kept you too long, but I, I don't know this. I'm certainly not an expert in your industry, but I would imagine that the, develop, the, the, the development of a single game probably includes dozens and dozens of people. But those dozens and dozens of people I imagine – are focused on that specific game. And then there's dozens and dozens of people on this game. I, I would imagine there's not a whole lot of people like you who are 
entering worlds and exiting worlds and entering and exiting and kind of hopping around like that. Is that fair? It's absolutely fair and absolutely true. Yeah, we are. How the hell do you keep it all? Like, how do you, what, what is your schedule look like where, cause you, you have to be meeting with so many different minds in order to capture the essence of that game. I imagine. Um, yes, we, how do you do it? Um, a, a lot of faith, a lot of determination, a lot of exhaustion. Um, one thing just on a side note that I think people don't realize, cause we talk a lot about the songs in NHL Madden, et cetera. We also don't talk about the scores, 110 people on the stage at Abbey road last year with the London symphony orchestra to do a 380 minute score over two months for Jedi Fallen Order, um, which, by the way, is as culturally important as is the soundtrack to Madden to people. You know, you look back and you hear those seven notes of Star Wars, but guess what? There's a whole generation that we're creating original music for. Same thing with Battlefield, Mass Effect, the songs of The Sims, you know, um, 300 million plus units sold in The Sims out there over, over the last 20 years. You know, these are cultural moments. Um, the challenge is that with each team, sometimes you have turnover, so sometimes you have to adopt new team. Everybody, you know, to be a little silly, but you'll understand this having roots in Nashville. You know, somebody might be an excellent plumber, somebody might be an excellent uh, dentist, but everybody's an expert at music. Everybody's an expert <laughs> at music. You know? Yes, they so, are. Oh my gosh. I mean, so sometimes I feel like I we like have to sports. go back to the beginning. Let's like sports. Yeah, it's exactly like sports. You know, sometimes we got to go back and explain from the beginning, this is the reason why we're not going to put your, your brother's uh, son's band in Madden football. Um, I, 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 quick, sorry, side note. Um, I was there maybe six weeks, maybe back in 2001, 2002. And some guy, we never put out the game. It was a game about mountain biking or something like that. And uh, some guy who was the executive producer walked in my office and he said, he was not a nice guy and he was pretty angry. And he walked in my office and he said, man, I hear I got to play you everything now that goes in my game. And I'm like, you know, I was trying to be a nice guy. I said, well, you know, let's listen to it. And he played me something. And it, I don't know, maybe it took me 15 seconds. I didn't know. I was biting my lip because when it ended, he goes, what do you think? And I kept reminding myself in the back of my brain, speak the truth, Steve, speak the truth. And I said, that, that, could be the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I did say it. And by the way, it was. I wasn't lying. It was the worst. And he goes, well, it's going in the game. And I said, okay, um, may I ask why? Because they played my wedding and I did a deal with them. So they played my wedding and I promised them to be in the game. So I White did flag. my duty. I played you, the, played you the song and now I can go and put it in the game. So, um... I've had some rough spots like that, but for the most part, I think uh, over the years, you build internal, you know, credibility within, you build credibility with the leagues, the NFL and I, you know, we're, 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 and my team, we're very, very tight last year. I don't know if you noticed it, but a bunch of teams, uh, when we were actually in stadiums last year, it wasn't just in the game, uh, the virtual game, Madden, you know, when a running back ran and dropped the ball and, or fumbled, there would be 10 second, 15 second snippets from the Madden music that year that we created those snippets for the NFL. Um, you know, <laughs> same thing with the MLS I mentioned earlier, us 
working with them to write their theme song, uh, us working two years ago with Hans Zimmer to recreate Champions League, you know, theme us this year, uh, you know, working with new intros for songs that must be in games like You'll Never Walk Alone. You know, we, we, we've, we've, had, we've been there long enough now that we sort of transcend beyond the individual teams and they work with us hand in hand. We're still fighting people's independent and individual decisions. And frankly, I got a lot of people with a lot of good taste. And, but just like anything in life, you'll get one guy sometimes who shows up and his taste is so bad. And it, it just, it's, I can combine all the 200 people who work on Madden with me who have great taste, but that one guy just, it, it, I ruined my whole day because of that guy. Because <laughs> he wants, like, again, it's always somebody related to that person. It's always somebody related to that person. It's never a band they like because they heard it. It's always my brother's you know nephews something you know it's always that and i'm not in the favor business you know what i mean i'm in the culture business so you got to say no but i stand by it and maybe i've made a couple enemies along the way because of that but i think in hindsight it's pretty damn good you know two more um yes, sir. <clears throat> leagues can be really difficult when it comes to collaboration and licensing and i mean those meetings can take months and months and months mm -hmm. to find that common ground w what have you found in working with the NFL or working with MLS or working with one of the European soccer leagues mm -hmm. in, in managing a common ground there? Yeah, it's a great question. And the truth is it takes time, trust, credibility. Um, you know, the NFL, I've gone through several um, groups within the, they, you know, they had people who were there 10 years ago are different than the people that are there right now. Mm -hmm. I think the NFL is in an amazing place. I applaud them for, you know, um, their, 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 outlook on what they need to do for their future fans you know and listen uh, one great example is the recent uh i'm hesitant to use the word because you know attitude but let's say their commentary their, their, their comments on colin kaepernick you know i think you know they were in a wrong place and i think now they're suddenly all for the right reasons in the right place and i think they've understood that they can't remain the league that they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's just not going to work in this world. And I think musically, suddenly, you know, they've gravitated towards um, what we do, becoming great partners. I can't begin to tell you what great partners they are. And integrating the music in Madden into the NFL experience itself and acknowledging the fact that it's cultural. You know, we are, you know, we tried to for years, um, be everything to everyone musically in Madden. Everything. There was country, there was rock, there was electronic, there was hip hop. And guess what? It didn't work for anyone. And, you know, I, those were the years when I used to go meet with the NFL and we would talk about demographics and they would say, we're nine to 90. We're nine to 90. We're everything for everyone. And the truth is, yes, I'm not going to, of course, a nine-year-old loves football and a 90-year-old loves football, but what do we do in this specific task for? What are these what are these songs who is going to be most meaningful and we finally came to and i remember having a meeting a couple of years ago uh with um folks who are no longer there and uh, they were saying yeah we do focus groups and uh all football fans want to hear classic rock and i said can i ask you a question who are you doing your focus groups with and they said season ticket holders yeah who and are 55 said, to 65 season or whatever. Ticket holders. listen i'm a titan season ticket holder okay i i am not representative of what the future of your sport looks like okay the purse people we should be speaking to are the players the guys in the locker room 
Those are the guys. And then they, they said, well, when you did that Madden 20 thing with the Titans, we did walk around and ask people what they thought and people freaked out. They loved it. And I'm like, so, you know, new regime at the NFL in the sense of the people we deal with, you know, um, fantastic people, uh, progressive people. The MLS, um, it's, it's pretty interesting um, because the MLS has always been progressive. They've always been open-minded. Um, they've always wanted to be bold and not sound like any other sport. They really didn't ever focus with me on, you know, this is what the folks in the suites listen to. They wanted what the people in the stands listened to. They wanted what the kids who came along with their parents listened to. And so that's always been a pretty progressive, you know, unique group of thinkers there. Um, but I think all the leagues right now, the NHL, I mean, I think they're in a good place as well. Look at, you know, go, go, have, you've done it, I'm sure. Go have an experience with the Predators. I mean, this is not... This is not the entertainment experience I had growing up with the Devils or the Rangers. Right. You know, this is an this is not an organ going dun, 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 dun. that that stuff is gone, man. And I by the way, I also have to send um, kudos out to Major League Baseball. I mean, the last couple of years, what a Dodgers experience sounds like. That is not that dull, sleepy Saturday afternoon experience, musically speaking. So I think the leagues have really come into their own. I think they've got a long ways to go, but I think they're on a great track. I think the NFL, just to circle that up, I, I applaud them for how they are rep musically representing what their sport sounds like. They are allowing it to happen, which is the right. I mean, they can't hold back what their fans listen to. And um, they're becoming a part of the culture now, musically speaking, which I'm really happy about. I'm, I'm a fanatic. If you haven't noticed this through this interview by now, I'm fanatical about some of the issues in the world and about uh, equality. Um, and I'm, I can't believe, I don't mean to turn this political, I hate that it's even, that's, this isn't political, this is, human, this, is human, this is humanity, okay? I can't believe we're sitting there in 2020, we're talking about equality. It's pathetic. And, 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 and music is the great common driver. Together, it brings people together. You know, nobody, nobody thinks of things that bring them apart when, they, when, when, they're, when they're listening to music. And I, and I think the NFL and, and, and the other leagues, they do respond to that. They understand music is the way to bring people together when, in a world when people are being drawn so far apart. I'll get you out of here on this, Steve. Uh, on that very note, uh, you've used the word culture many times, equality, togetherness, unity. And that's what you've done for your Thank entire you. career, regardless of whether it was at MTV or the record companies and, and now DA for the last couple of decades. It's hard to discuss legacy while you're still in the middle of building it. But I will ask you, what do you hope is your legacy? Hmm. Wow. Well, let's, let's start this by saying I ain't going nowhere for a long time. <laughs> um, I heard that, brother. <laughs> um, listen, I, I'm, I'm grateful every morning. You know, I'm a spiritual guy. I'm grateful. I thank God for, you know, waking up in the morning. I don't take that for granted. Um, there's a lot of darkness out there. And I believe within the darkness, we can all build light. We can all create something together. So I am so proud that music has never left me since the day I was born. And that not only am I grateful for the fact that 
I get to do it every day and listen to great music and work with great musicians and produce great orchestras and stuff. But I do, you've all, you just nailed me on that. I do love, um, I live off of the commonality that comes from it. That's what I had when I was a kid. Me and my buddies, just like your son gets in a virtual room, my buddies and I would do two things together. And I was brought up in a very diverse place. You know, nobody had the same religion. Nobody had the same color in their skin. We, we did, none of us were the same. And we would get together and we would listen to music. We would play albums and we would sit back and we would go, wow. And we would just dream off into it. And then we'd talk about it after and read lyrics. And then we would watch football games. You know, I, we didn't understand soccer then. I'm a soccer fanatic, but we had football. We had the Jets, we had the Giants, and we would fight over the two. Um, you know, being from New York originally, Jersey, that's what we would do. Um, we had the Yankees and the Mets. Those were, those were our differences. And so thank you for saying that. If, if we have, and I mean this from my heart, if we have created a sense of commonality by culturally bringing people together, by giving them timestamps so they remember moments in their lives that are important to them, by creating healthy arguments over which song is better than which song, um, then I would hope that would be the legacy. Uh, I, I, that was what I strived to do from day one. I never got into this for the money. I always got into it for the music. And otherwise, as my grandmother, God rest her soul, would have said, you know, I would have been a dentist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> She sat me down when I was 17 and said to me, listen, Steve, in this family, we have three choices. You can, you know, I appreciate this music hobby of yours. She goes, but you can be a doctor, a lawyer, or quote, God forbid, a dentist. My dad was a dentist. I felt bad for him at that <laughs> statement. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't. I followed my heart. I followed my path and not. For never and not for the money. I followed it because I know what music can do. I I'm a dreamer. I believe in it. And I believe that you and I could sit down tomorrow, break bread, listen to music, and we'd be best friends by the end of that meal. Yeah. No question, brother. I, I, I appreciate your perspective and candor and vulnerability so much. We appreciate your time and your patience with our technical issues as well. And um, you filled up my tank today, man. I appreciate your spirit. Have an awesome day. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for everything. I really appreciate it. And what an honor it is to meet you, man. I've, I've, I've heard of you and I, a long time. And it's a real honor. And, I, and I, when all of this is said and done and we get back on the road, which hopefully will be sooner than later, hopefully I'll see you at an Eric Church show. Okay. Oh. And, I'll give you, and then I'll give you a big hug. Right now I'll we be just there. love each other. <laughs> I'll be, probably be the drunkest guy in the room, Steve. I, I appreciate you. I Have an awesome day. God bless you, you man. You, my friend. You take care. Bye-bye. Thank y'all for hanging out today, man. Thanks so much to Steve for that awesome conversation and educating us on kind of what it's like to, to be in a position where you're so influential over artists' careers and young people's musical tastes. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So thank you to him. Really appreciate y'all listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Really appreciate goodies. If y'all are hungover, man, you better get that goodies. Trust me on this. I'm, this is nothing new to me, as I said earlier. I've been doing this for a long time, man. That's an old that's, – that's NASCAR medicine right there. You just put that goodies headache powder under your tongue, and it's a miracle cure. Bang, all of a sudden you feel ready to go. And when goodies cool orange came out, game changer, man. Game 
changer. Thank you to Goodies for supporting Marty Smith's America and the Levitard and Friends Network. Thank you so much to NetSuite. They've been there. Appreciate their support. Y'all go check out netsuite.com, code Marty, and, uh, and see what they have to offer. Really appreciate our law enforcement officials all over the country working so hard to keep our community safe, our first responders, firemen who are running into the fire, literally risking their lives to save others. Thank you so much to our military. We appreciate your sacrifice both here in America and all over the globe so that we can live in a free country. Uh, Y'all have a great week, and that's that. We love you. This is Marty Smith's America, Volume 100-something. We'll catch you next time around.